Welcome to the FCC Podcast. Hear all the stories, worship, and teaching from Sunday service. Want to connect with us or learn more about FCC? Visit us at FCCETown.com. Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Hope you're doing well. Um, I know that for many of you, if you're like me and you walk across your grass, it sounds like you're walking on potato chips. So this rain we're supposed to get today hopefully will help us with that. Um, it's not going to do much for our pool party today, but it's going to be good, good for, for our grass. Uh, the Jones crew is doing, doing very well. We've, we've, we've been in touch with them. Um, it's been a little difficult because uh, you know, the time difference between here and the French Riviera is a little different. Um, but, but they're doing well, and it's, it's, it's a joy for us to give, give Stuart a break because he's been at it uh, nonstop for a while. But we continue today to, to talk about, about serving. And uh, I want to tell you just a few stories as we open up about serving. And uh, some of you know that, that our son Boone had, had leukemia. And so like, like day two of the leukemia journey, so like day one is like diagnosis. Day two, he goes in to get his Broviac, which is basically they plumbed him, and he has like these two little hoses sticking out of his chest. And so and he, 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 he came out of surgery after getting his Broviac, Broviac installed. And here we sit in his hospital room, and it's kind of a heavy moment. And then all of a sudden, the, the, we get a knock on the door, and, uh, and Mark and Nicole Malone are, are standing there, and they both have these big, massive bags, and they come in, and Nicole is smiling, but Mark looks suspicious, and we don't, we're not sure what's going on, but Nicole she opens her bag, and it's like Mary Poppins, it's like snacks just keep coming out, and it's, you know, it's like you've got like a carload of snacks in one bag, it's like peanut butter and crackers, it's like, oh my goodness, this is awesome. And then Mark is still looking suspicious, and he's like, I brought you a Keurig. <laughs> like, like a full-size Keurig? Like, I, I feel like I was in the Saw, Shawshank Redemption, and he's like, you know, Morgan Freeman's character, you know, who's a man who can get stuff for you. And I, I didn't know if, like, do I need to, like, you know, slip you some smokes? Or are you going to, am I going to have to give you my dessert, you know, for the next few months? Like, how does this work? But he had this suspicious look on his face, like, I just smuggled a Keurig through the hospital. And it was funny, and it made us laugh, and we really needed to laugh that, at that point. But the, here's the case, because they just wanted us to have good coffee. You know, they, they couldn't solve the big problem before us. Uh, they couldn't take away the stress, but they could make sure that we had good coffee. And that's just an attitude, of, of, of a servant attitude. I'll tell you another one. My grandmother's 90 years old. We celebrated with her a couple weeks ago she, when she turned 90. But she's in, in, in the nursing home with, with Alzheimer's. And uh, but before she was in the nursing home, she got to spend a couple years at home. She was kind of, you know, we knew she had it, but, but she was still able to be in, in, at home. And, uh, and my dad, for two years, every morning he took her breakfast, and every evening he took her dinner. Every morning breakfast, every evening dinner for two years. And he and my mom loved to travel, and they didn't travel. And uh, they loved to go places, didn't get to go a lot of places, had to stay close to home to kind of keep an eye on her. Never once did I ever hear him complain. Never once did I ever hear him say, I've got to do this, I've got to do that. Always an attitude of servant, serving. Wanted to serve his mom. And I hope that this high level of, of servanthood that he demonstrated is not what he expects from the next generation. Uh, no, I, I say, that, say that jokingly. But for two years, I, I watched my dad serve my grandmother every single day. All right, one more. So the first church I ever worked for is, is a small church in Russell Springs, Christian church, just like this. 
Uh, you know, a good Sunday for us was like a buck twenty-five. And uh, our first Christmas there, our church said, we want to help a family. And so some of the folks there were, were connected in the school system. They found this family. It's a mom and dad. Both of them worked really, really hard, just kind of fell on some hard times and were struggling and needed some help. So our whole church came together to buy gifts for this one family. And it ended up being so many gifts that Emily and I couldn't even fit it in the back of our little SUV we had at the time. So we had to go get the church van to get all these gifts in the, in the, to this family. And uh, we show up. And I will never forget the look on this mom's face. And I mean, it's just shock and bewilderment. It's like, what are we going to do with all this stuff? Because Ellie and I, we're just bringing in gift after gift. And, and we had the, the joy of being there and delivering the gifts that a lot of people in the church didn't have. And so gift after gift, and this mom is like tears in her eyes, and it, no entitlement, just pure gratitude. And it was such a joy to serve them. And I'm going to be really honest. It was more joyful for me to serve them than it is for me to even give gifts to my kids. And here's why. My kids don't need anything. I literally, like we get close to Christmas, we, in our house, I don't know if your house is like ours, but we start to panic. And we're like, we gotta come up with some kind of novelty to get these kids because we gotta buy them the stuff so that they can play with it for five minutes and put it in the closet so it can turn to dust. That's how Christmas works. But that wasn't this case. This family needed us and we served them. And it was the most joy-filled thing, one of the most joy-filled Christmas gift-giving experiences I've ever had. Why is that? Why does serving bring such joy? And I think it's this, that you and I were made to serve. We were created to serve. And when you're doing what you are made to do, you are fulfilled. And fulfilled people are happy people. But now here's the catch. The exact opposite is true. When you're not doing what you were made to do, you are not fulfilled. You are unfulfilled. And unfulfilled people are miserable people. They're not happy people to be around. You will not find a happy, selfish person. That's an oxymoron because th that doesn't exist. The other part of serving. How on earth do you and I Show Jesus to our world without serving. Jesus showed us what serving looks like. Yes, he, he washed his disciples' feet, and that was gross and nasty and all this stuff, and they had poop on their feet, and okay, and he washed it off, whatever. Oh, yes. But he ultimately gave himself as a sacrifice for us, the ultimate example of servanthood. So how do you present a God who is the ultimate servant to a world without serving yourself, or serving them? How do we present him to our world without living the example? Because here's the thing, when it comes to scripture, scripture is very, very clear on this one. This is not one of those areas where we need to parse the Greek. It's not an area where we have to perform exegetical calisthenics. It's, we do because of what has been done for us. We do because of what has been done for us. Paul says this, in Ephesians 2, he says, For it, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. You didn't do any of this. It's a gift. You didn't even earn it. He just gave it to you. It's the gift of God, not by works. None of us did anything to earn this, so that no one can boast. Because guess what? If someone could earn this, then someone would boast about it. That's how we work. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, 
which God prepared in advance for us to do. So God equipped us to do good works and laid out the good works for us to do. We had no hand in it. We just get to participate and be part of it and experience the joy of doing what we were created to do, following the example of the ultimate servant. We don't serve to earn anything because we have been given everything. Everything we have comes from Jesus. If you're in a highly technical field, who gave you that incredible brain? If you do physical work, who gave you that incredibly strong body? It all came from him. We serve because we have been remodeled to serve. We have been remade to serve. We are made to serve, and choosing not to do so is unbiblical, but it's also saying, I choose misery. I choose not to do what I was made to do. I choose to be unfulfilled, and I choose to be a miserable person. That's me. Today is our ministry. If you saw it coming in, today is our ministry fair, and, and, and we want everybody in our church to be plugged in and serving in some way. And if there is any place in this world where people should see people serving and experience people serving, it should be right here under this roof. Because how do you lead someone closer to a serving God without serving them first? Listen to what Paul says to the Corinthians. He says, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is within the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some of us are Gentiles, some of us are slaves, and some of us are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same Holy Spirit. But our bodies have many parts, and God has put, I love this, God has put each part just where he wants it. God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head can never say to the feet, I don't need you. Let me explain this by sharing two stories about two professional athletes. Or, Yes, that's right. Not two stories about one professional athlete. Um, the first one is about the, the pitcher named Dizzy Dean. Now, you've probably heard this name because I don't know of another human being named Dizzy Dean. I don't know about you, but this is the only Dizzy Dean I know. So if you've ever heard the term Dizzy Dean, this is your guy. And he was a pitcher before, before World War II. And he's a Hall of Fame pitcher whose career came to an end because of a broken toe. Hall of Fame career brought to an end because of a singular broken toe. In the 1937 All-Star game, he took a line drive to, a, to his foot that broke his toe. And because he was just determined to get his Cardinals into the World Series, he comes back from the injury too early and had to alter his pitching motion to lessen the impact of landing on the sore foot. And this adjustment drastically affected his follow-through, and by the end of the 1937 season, his arm is dead. And from 1937 to 1941, he only pitches in 44 games. You say, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, before then, he would pitch 40 games a season. Hall of Fame pitching career brought to an end because of a toe. There is no service role in this church that is insignificant. Not one. Not one single role in this church is insignificant. Every single job matters. Every single area of service matters. Here's how you know it matters. Paul also said to the Corinthians three chapters later, 
So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. And here's the part that I want you to hear. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. One more time. You know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Everything matters. What if somebody shows up and our grass is two feet tall? What if somebody shows up and there's, there's no, no words on the screen? They're just, they're just blank. What if somebody shows up and there, there's no coffee out front? What if somebody shows up and, and there's no communion cups and so on and so forth? Every role in this church, every area of service comes together to say, we take this serious because we want you to know Jesus. Every role comes together to say that. And no role is more insignificant than the other. Every single role, every single job matters and it counts. Not just because I'm saying it, but because it's scriptural. Everything matters to say to the world, we take this serious because we want you to know Jesus. All right, one more professional athlete story. This is Brian Bosworth. And if there's ever a human being who looks like they should be a professional football player, this guy checks the box. I mean, look at that. The square jaw. I mean, look, I mean he just he looks like a football player. And he was. He was a really good one in college. And if you're like me and you're a fan of the ESPN 30 for 30s, I love those things, then, then you might already may know the story of Brian Bosworth or the Boz as he was known, or maybe you know him as the sheriff on the, uh, the Dr. Pepper commercials. Maybe that's him. I don't know. But he was a phenomenal athlete, two-time All-American linebacker for the Oklahoma Sooners, and uh, College Football News even ranks him 30 on their list of the 100 greatest college football players of all time. So everyone thought, when this guy gets to the NFL, he is just going to be, he's just going to tear it up. I mean, it's just, the NFL's in trouble. Brian Bosworth is coming. He lasted a year and a half. And here's why. If you watch the 30 for 30, you heard his old trainer say that they did scans of his back, and it revealed that he had the, the, the skeleton, the, the frame of a 60-year-old man at age 23. And the reason is his skeleton or his, his frame was too small. He had the muscles, but his frame couldn't support it. Couldn't support all of his muscles and couldn't support the beating that he was going to take by playing in the NFL. And that's why a lot of times NFL scouts will pick people that we don't pick. They, they know this kind of stuff. And i tell you that to say this. FCC cannot grow larger than our frame. We have limits. Just like Brian Bosworth had limits, we had limits. We are limited to the size of our frame. We can only grow to the level of people serving. Because here's what I know, and here's what I know you know, and that if a mama shows up and she takes her baby back to Kidtown and there are 20 little babies back there and there are two people in the room, she's going to do one of these and just slowly back away because she, there's no way she's leaving her little one back there in a free-for-all like that. But if someone comes through the front doors and they don't hear good morning, they may not come back. If someone wants to join a life group and we say, sorry, all the groups are full because we have so few groups because we have so few leaders. You know exactly what this looks like. If you've been to a restaurant recently, you know. You go into a restaurant, there's seating for 50, but there's waiters and waitresses for 25. You, you've, you've experienced this. In restaurants you used to go in, you could have your food in 15 minutes, now it takes 45. 
Or if you're like us, you ordered pizza the other night, and usually pizza would take 30 minutes to get to our house, and now it's an hour and a half to two hours. The, the framework of our workforce is too small, and it can't handle the current demand. We serve because anything that we do for God's kingdom matters. Everything. We serve because we are part of this body, and it takes all of us serving to show Jesus to our community. We are many people with many differences, but we combine our strengths to say, we take this serious because we want you to know Jesus. And we know that it takes every one of us to build the frame to make this happen. I want to challenge you to, to pray a prayer. And, and I don't give guarantees a lot, but I'm going to give you a guarantee on this one. I guarantee you, if you pray this prayer, God will answer this prayer. And it's, it's, a, it's a rare one. When I was in high school, my high school basketball coach told me that my, my sweat was, was such a rare thing that it would probably cure cancer. And it was probably a little too rare. <laughs> Confession time. But here's the prayer. Father, what can I do for you today? Not, God, can you fix this, cure this, move this, open this up? It's moving that aside and saying, Father, what can I do for you today? And if you pray that, he will answer that. Apologize to this person. Go across the road because the, the, the mom over there with three kids is drowning and throw her, a li uh, throw her one of those life rings. Serve at church, whatever it is, or, or just smile at somebody at work. It, we're not asking you to, to, to solve hunger. Just serve other people and, and be kind. I want to show you a clip from, from another sermon. Um, you're like, well, that's kind of weird, but here's the reason. The, the sermon is from a guy by the name of Tony Campolo, and he tells a story that, that, that he experienced, and if I told you, it, it, just, it would fall flat. I, I, I wouldn't do it justice. But I want to lay a little caveat, and that is I don't align 100% with Tony Campolo theologically, okay? But on this particular issue, I am 100% in sync with him. So listen to Tony share this story. If you go to Honolulu from the East Coast, those of you who have been there know that you wake up like at 3 o'clock in the morning and you can't get back to sleep. And I'm, I'm hungry. And I, I went looking for something to eat. And even at that wee hour of the morning in a bustling city like Honolulu, you can't find a place that's open. But up a side street, I did find a place. I went in, sat down on the stool. It was a greasy spoon, no booze, just a row of stools in front of the counter. And, and this fat guy with a dirty, filthy, greasy apron came out, pulled his cigar out, put it down, and said, what do you want? I didn't touch the menu. It was one of those plastic menus that grease had piled up on it. And I knew that if I opened it, something extraterrestrial would crawl out. I said, I'd like a cup of coffee and a donut. So he poured the coffee, and then he did this. And he picked up the donut. <laughs> I hate that. So I'm sitting there, 3.30 in the morning, drinking my coffee and eating this dirty donut. Into the room come about eight or nine prostitutes, and they sat down on either side of me. And I tried to disappear. 
And the one on my immediate right said, tomorrow's my birthday, she said to her friend. I'm going to be 39. Her friend said, so what do you want me to do? Sing happy birthday? You want a cake? What, do you, what should we do? Have a party for you? You're going to be 39. The first woman said, look, I don't, I'm not expecting anything. I just, why do you have to put me down? And then she said, with a crack in her voice, I've never had a birthday party in my whole life. I don't expect to have one now. That did it. I waited till, you know, till they all left, and I was the only one left. I called Harry over. I said, do they come in here every night? He said, yeah. I said, the one next to me? He said, Agnes. I said, tomorrow's her birthday. What do you say we decorate the place? And when she comes in tomorrow, we have a birthday party for her because I heard her say she's never had a birthday party in her whole life. He said, mister, that's brilliant. That is brilliant. Jane, he called his wife out of the back room. She did the cooking. He wants to throw a birthday party for Agnes. I thought, jeez, this is great. She comes out. She grabs my hand. She says, mister, you wouldn't understand this because of what she does, you know? But she's one of the kind people in this town. She's one of the caring people in this town. I said, uh, look, can I, can I decorate the place? She said, to your heart's content. I said, I'm going to bring a birthday cake. Harry said, oh, no, the cake's my thing. I thought, oh, jeez, you know, <laughs> So I got there the next morning. I got there the next morning at about 2.30. I bought crepe paper at the Kmart, strung it across the plate, place, made a big sign that said, happy birthday, Agnes, put it on the mirror behind the counter. I had the place spruced. Jane, who got, does the cooking, got the word out on the street so that by 3.15, every prostitute in Honolulu was squeezed into this place. I mean, people, it was wall-to-wall -wall prostitutes and me. 3.30 in the morning, the door opens. In comes Agnes and her friends. I got everybody poised, everybody ready. The minute she walks through the door, we yell, Happy birthday, Agnes, and all start cheering like mad. I've never seen anybody so stunned in my life. Her knees buckled. They steadied her and got her and sat her down on a chair. And We started singing, happy birthday, happy birthday, happy birthday, dear Agnes. And when they brought out the cake, she lost it and started to cry. Harry just stood there with the cake and finally he said, all right, Agnes, knock it off. <laughs> blow out the candles, Agnes. Come on, blow out the candles. She tried and she couldn't, so he blew out the candles and handed her the knife and said, now cut the cake. Come on now, cut the cake. She sat there for a long moment, and then she said to me, is it all right if I don't cut the cake? She said, what I'd really like to do is take the cake home and show it to my mother. I said, it's your cake. She stood up. I said, do you have to do it now? She said, I live two doors down. Let me take the cake home. I'll bring it right back. I promise. She picked up the cake. She pushed through the crowd and out the door. And as the door swung slowly shut, dead silence. The whole group was stunned. I didn't know what to say. Finally, after a few uneasy moments, I said, what do you say we pray? It's weird looking back on it now. A sociologist leading a prayer meeting with a bunch of prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning in a diner in Honolulu was the right thing to do, and I prayed that God would deliver her 
from what dirty, filthy men had done to her, usually starting like it, you know, when they're about 12 or 13, and, and then they're ruined and hurt. And when I finished praying that God would make her new, that God would give her back everything that had been taken from her, I said amen and lifted my eyes, and Harry was right in my face. He said, hey, Camp Polo, you told me you were a sociologist. You're no sociologist. You're a preacher. What kind of church you belong to? And one of those moments when you come up with just the right words, I said, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for whores at 3.30 in the morning. <laughs> I thought that was a clever answer. I'll never forget his response. He looked back and he said, No, you don't. No, you don't. He said, I would join a church like that. <laughs> Wouldn't we all? Wouldn't we all join a church that threw birthday parties for whores at 3.30 in the morning? I got news for you. That is the kind of church that Jesus came to create. Paul says, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do, even if it's 3.30 in the morning in Honolulu. You know, we live in a world where, where talk is cheap. Price of gas is not cheap. Price of gas is an all-time high, but talk is at an all-time low. So let your actions speak, because their reach will exceed your words a thousand times over. Plus, we can't show our servant king without being servants ourselves. I want to close by telling you a pers another personal story. When I was around nine or ten years old, can't remember which, my parents were at a really tough spot in their relationship, and our home was more of a war zone than a home, and uh, their friends knew it. And so one Saturday, my mom wakes me up and says, hey, I need you to get ready. Some of our friends are coming to pick you up and uh, we're going to take you to do some fun stuff today. So they, they show up about an hour later, and I'm ready to go, and they pick me up. They go pick up my friend who lived up the, the road, and uh, they took us out to eat, and they took us to Center College um, to watch a basketball game because one of their kids happened to actually be playing for the school. So they went and watched the game, and then they, they brought me back home. Nothing, nothing fancy, nothing extravagant. But the point is that they, they chose to give a Saturday to serve me and to serve my family because they knew my parents needed time to work stuff out and they knew that it was not a great environment for me to be in and, and to just pull me out of that for a day and just let me be a kid for a day. Nothing fancy. They just chose to serve me and my family. But they left a legacy because my wife Emily knows this story very, very well and it has spawned or sparked within us to offer the same and, and prompted us to do the same because of their example. And the reason is, actions speak so loud that they can be heard 30 years later. That's why we serve. We serve because we were made to serve. We serve because how else do we explain to the world that we have this incredible servant king if we aren't serving ourselves? We serve to say to people, we take this serious because we want you to know Jesus. And because we want to develop a framework that can handle the people he's going to bring through those doors right out there. Who are you serving? Where are you serving? 
You were made to serve, and if you need a good place to start, First Christian Church is a really good place to get started. But choose to serve, because the other route is miserable, and you don't want to choose that. Let's pray. Father, we love you. I thank you for just setting an absolute incredible example for us. I thank you for Jesus, who, yeah, he washed his feet, but he also serves all of us by offering himself as the ultimate sacrifice. Thank you for when we get to see people like Tony who are being obedient and serving. Thank you for people um, like Donald and Joy who served me. Thank you for people like Mark and Nicole and, and my dad that we get to see serving. Thank you for the people who show up here when the lights are off and are the first ones here and they come in and they turn everything on and light this place up every Sunday. Thank you for the ones who are back here right now holding babies. Thank you for the ones who are teaching our little ones. Thank you for the ones who are leading life groups and the ones who mow the grass here and the ones who serve coffee and the ones who are back in the tech room and the ones who are in the live stream room. Thank you for the ones that invest in our students and who make sure that our building is intact. And on and on and on we can go. Thank you that you have this incredible body that has many parts that you have put exactly where you want them to make sure that your kingdom grows. My prayer this morning for all of us is that we will have the courage to say, Father, where can I serve you today? We love you and pray and ask all these things in Jesus' name. If you are here with us this morning and you know you've been coming to First Christian for a while and you're like, I love this place, because we all do too. But if you, if you love this place as well and you would like to make First Christian your home, we invite you to come down as we sing in just a minute. If, if you have been kind of thinking, man, I, I need to make Jesus the king of my life, make him my Lord and Savior, I need to take a step, I need to be baptized, I need to, to, to say to the, the, the church that, that he is my Lord and he is my Savior, we invite you to come down. We invite you to do all that as we sing. Would you please stand?